Giving you, Monsieur le Ministre, Toronto. Minister, you will remember Toronto. It's the, <laughs> it's the place where the Stanley Cup is securely won by the Leafs in October. And it's also the municipality at the southern end of Highway 400, where the thriving metropolis of Huntsville, just, uh, just above it. Now, today is Halloween, and with it, an opportunity for at least one cheap line. Uh, we're all waiting to hear whether you brought us tricks or treats, understanding that treats may be in short supply in your job these days. Tony Clement is the president of the Treasury Board in the federal government and exemplifies all that is good in public service. From holding major cabinet positions in the Harris and Eves governments, including memorably leading the incredible fight against the devastating SARS, to three senior portfolios in Ottawa, he serves the people of Ontario and Canada with intelligence, integrity, and tremendous commitment. Not one to be held by outdated tradition, he leads politicians in the adoption of social media. He is an inveterate Twitterer, and he is also has a progressive sense of interior design. His office doesn't have a desk. As president of the, of the Treasury Board and minister responsible for FedNor, he is at the hot corner of economic future of our country. Pendant des, des dernières élections, le gouvernement est promis de limiter de déficit et amener le budget à l'équilibre dans les trois ans. Présent et maintenant rendu plus difficile en raison de la récente tourmente économique internationale. The task before Tony as President of the Treasury Board is to review the spending and identify savings of $4 billion by 2014-2015. The result of doing this is to improve efficiency and effectiveness of government operations to ensure that taxpayers get value for their hard-earned tax dollars. The review and analysis of existing programs and spending should be regarded as a healthy part of policy development. Programs and policies in place for five or ten years or longer should be the subject of scrutiny. Why were they established? What has been accomplished? Are they still necessary, and can Canadians be better served? There's no one, in my view, better qualified to lead this review than Tony Clement. Monsieur le Ministre, vous avez la parole. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming my very good friend, the Honourable Tony Clement. Thank you very much, uh, Jamie, and uh, bon matin, tout le monde. Uh, thank you very much for being here early Monday morning in uh, downtown Toronto. It's uh, my pleasure to uh, join you at the start of your week and at the start of your day. And uh, I uh, do want to, um, I do want to commend uh, the club. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, the leadership of the club has many people that I've been uh, associated with or have had uh, some form of relationship with. Uh, for many, many years, and uh, I, looking around the room, I see a few other familiar faces as well. So thank you for joining us. As you know, if you are a regular attendee of the Canadian Club, uh, it's uh, really been since 1897 uh, that this club has been a place where newsmakers 
can go to get their thoughts out to a wider audience. Uh, and uh, that is true today as well. Uh, Jamie mentioned uh, my uh, occasional foray into the Twitterverse. Uh, and so we are in the world of instantaneous communication. Uh, but I, I do believe that the idea of discussing the events and the ideas of the day face-to-face, -face, not necessarily just in the blogosphere or the Twitterverse, uh, is as important today as it was in Sir Wilfrid Laurier's time. And I, in fact, I'd say even more so. Uh, events like uh, Canadian club speeches allow for greater context to, that can be given than, say, via a 140-character tweet. So let me start my speech today with a simple proposition that it is as important today for Canada to get its economic fundamentals correct as it was in the depths of the Great Recession in 2009. Canadians today look at the world and wonder what impact the next financial crisis or the next fiscal crisis might have on them. Economic difficulties in other parts of the world can and do affect us because, of course, as you know, we are all interconnected. So how can we best prepare for the future? Well, we do it by being prepared and being prudent. We must also ensure that our public budgets, our tax environment, and our regulatory environment are in sync with those plans and those priorities. Let me uh, give you one example from our near past. While financial institutions around the world lost about $1.8 trillion during the crisis that commenced in 2008, our banks stood solid and steadfast. The Canadian banking system has been based on sound risk management and supported by an effective regulatory and supervisory framework. It helped make our country one of the last to be hit by the global recession. And as a result, when the global downturns commenced in uh, 2008, Canada was in a relatively sound position, both fiscally and otherwise. In fact, we were in a better position than most other OECD countries heading into that fiscal storm. We had also been managing program spending responsibly in the federal government. The government under Prime Minister Harper had been paying down debt, which had given us a stronger credit rating as a country. And we had also cut, tracks, uh, cut taxes across the board, including income taxes and taxes for small businesses. Our government uh, has gradually reduced business taxes from 21% in 2007 to 16.5% this year, and that rate will fall to 15% in, uh, Janu on January 1st, 2012. Canada now has an overall tax rate on new business investment that is substantially lower than other G7 countries and below the average of OECD member countries. Today, Canada has the most competitive business taxes in the developed world. This is something that is noticed around the world now. In my recent visits to Washington, D.C. and Manhattan, it was very clear that Canada's superior fiscal position and tax advantage uh, is gaining notice 
among financiers and politicians in the United States. Yet while Canada's solid economic performance is great news for Canadians, we all know that we're not out of the woods yet. Indeed, Canada's success has to be viewed uh, in the context of the global economic situation, one that continues to present challenges for governments all around the world. Excessive spending and rising debt are the key problems facing some countries today. And so despite Canada's success at remaining clear of the kinds of difficulties that have entangled others, our economy, like those in the rest of the world, uh, is still fragile. And we must continue to be prudent. Today I want to tell you how the federal government is being prudent, working to eliminate the deficit and modernizing the way it does business. Being prudent and prepared also applies to how we manage taxpayer dollars. And I would say, ladies and gentlemen, that this plan is working. Since July of 2009, the, the depths of that Great Recession, our economy has added more than 650,000 new jobs. And in Budget 2011, the government announced its plan to return to a balanced budget by fiscal 2014-15. Now that's our Deficit Reduction Action Plan that uh, Jamie was referencing. It is now underway and will involve uh, reviewing the efficiency and effectiveness of government programs. It will focus on finding operating efficiencies uh, while, of course, maintaining essential services and at the same time, modernizing government to meet the priorities of Canadians. This is a, a one-time review that involves 67 federal organizations, departments and agencies. And uh, this is the most wide-ranging review that has occurred since the mid-90s. As uh, Jamie mentioned, the goal is to find ongoing savings of at least $4 billion by 2014-2015. Now, as uh, President of the Treasury Board, uh, it is part of my mandate to implement this plan, uh, working hand-in-hand, -hand, of course, with our Finance Minister, Jim Flaherty. And I'm leading the committee that will make the recommendations to Jim and to the Prime Minister on where savings can be found. We've been working hand-in-hand, -hand, of course, with public servants at all levels to achieve this as well. But the motive is equally important. The motive is to create jobs and sustain the economic recovery. Indeed, uh, one way to threaten the recovery is to move off fiscal probity and deficit elimination. Just look at stricken countries like uh, Greece, and you get the picture. As Prime Minister Harper said in his open letter to the Globe and Mail recently, our government takes the wider economic challenges seriously, and we will meet our deficit and debt targets while continuing to implement a pro-jobs and growth agenda. And unlike reviews of this nature conducted by previous governments, the current review will not cut transfer payments to individuals for benefits such as pensions. It will not cut transfers to provinces for essential services such as health care or education. But I want to emphasize this. The, the spending review is more than simply a savings exercise. I believe very strongly it is an opportunity to modernize how government does business. Its goal is to deliver the right programs at the right costs 
and maximize taxpayer dollars. As Prime Minister David Cameron uh, said recently in our House of Commons addressing us in Parliament, and I quote, it's not fiscal policy that makes economies grow. It's making us more productive that is essential to our long-term future prosperity. This means making it easier to set up a new company, employ people, invest and grow a business. End of quotation. I want you to know that our government is working on that side of the formula as well. We need to make it easier for the private sector to innovate, be creative and grow jobs. Last winter, Prime Minister Harper established the Red Tape Reduction Commission to eliminate certain irritants for small businesses and find lasting solutions to help businesses invest more in productivity and invest less in the burden of regulatory requirements. It is also why Canada and the United States jointly established the Canada-US Regulatory Cooperation Council to look for ways to better align our country's regulatory approaches. Such cooperation will increase our reliance on and our recognition of work already done in our respective countries. It will potentially align product standards and product approvals and increase collaboration. What it will not do is compromise either country's sovereignty, privacy regimes, or legal and regulatory frameworks. Final regulatory decisions will remain in the hands of each sovereign jurisdiction. Let me give you an example of how that will work. There's uh, obviously a lot of interest in electric cars these days. Electric cars need batteries. Uh, but the worst possible outcome would be that we would have a different regulatory regime for those batteries in Canada and a different one, again, in the United States. This would make it a lot tougher for companies in Canada who are working on long-term batteries to be able to be part of the auto sector if they cannot match the regulatory requirements that are found in the U.S. or vice versa for that matter. And so there's a concrete example where uh, the regulatory environment has to be converged to make sure that we can have a North America-wide, at the very least a North America-wide, regulatory regime for these kinds of batteries. We believe that these kinds of results will be very positive for all sorts of businesses, both large and small. Uh, they will help lower the costs, reduce administrative roadblocks, and make for more efficient trading. Uh, so please expect very positive announcements in this regard in the weeks ahead. Another effort uh, aimed at strengthening our economic foundation is the positioning of Canada to succeed in the digital economy. This is something that I was concerned with as well when I was Minister of Industry. And our government, I can tell you, is very committed to making it easier for Canadians to learn about and participate in government, the economy, and our democratic process. Now, as President of the Treasury Board, I'm in charge of our open government initiatives. And these are being pursued through three main streams. Open data, which offers government data in more useful and machine-readable formats so that citizens, the private sector, NGOs, will have, have the opportunity to use this data in innovative and value-added ways. Second is open information, which proactively releases information, including on government activities, 
to Canadians on an ongoing basis. It's also about proactively making government information easier to find and access. And finally, there's open dialogue, which gives Canadians a stronger say in government policies and priorities and expands engagement with citizenry through Web 2.0 technologies. If you want to know more about open government, uh, you can uh, visit open.gc.ca, where we describe actions to strengthen open data, open information, and open dialogue. And we will be posting information about new activities as they are undertaken. Canada will soon have the chance to step on the world stage as a leader in open government. We are one of the countries to signal its intent to participate in an international open government partnership. And as part of our leadership role in increasing government transparency and accountability, uh, Canada has officially joined the International Open Government Partnership. This is an important initiative. It was launched by the US and Brazil, actually, and it aims to secure concrete commitments from other governments to promote transparency, empower citizens, fight corruption, and harness new technologies to strengthen governance. Having joined in this partnership, we will be delivering an open government plan informed by broad consultation by March 2012. Being part of this partnership will offer Canada a means to connect internationally through its open government agenda. And this will be an opportunity for Canadian technology companies to showcase their innovations as well. In the long term, open governments and economies will pay dividends for our private sector. The businesses will also stand to have an impact on Canadian society in general, helping us increase transparency, accountability, and citizen engagement. More and more, we're seeing that accountability, transparency, and openness are the hallmarks of a modern, democratic, free market-oriented government. One of the major opportunities of open data is positively impact on people to, is to positively impact on uh, people's day-to-day -day experiences. I, I want to give you a concrete example of this. Now, may, many of you may use Google Maps, both for business or personal use in planning trips, let's say. So when you type in a destination on your web browser, Google will calculate the route for you and give you, as I'm sure you're aware, the choice of options on how to get there by foot or by car or for local trips by public transit. For people who take the subway or the bus on a regular basis, this particular icon on public transit has proved to be a valuable service. But it was made possible through a combination of open government data and private sector innovation. Basically, anywhere in North America, local governments decided to cooperate and adopt a common standard for reporting public transit routes. This data was then made available to the public, and uh, it was made available for free. And some clever folks at Google have made use of this data. They allow their search engine to automatically update transit information once a week from municipal government computers, and thus provide a valuable service to Google Maps users. And that's just one example, I think a very apt example, though, of the kind of work that can be done when you have open data it really does open the floodgates for private sector innovation and creativity. In closing, let me give the final word on the economy and on efforts to reduce the deficit 
and create economic growth and jobs to a well-known international publication. According to Forbes magazine annual ranking of global economies, Canada is now the world's best place to do business. And there you have it. With focused leadership, an improved tax system, reducing red tape, strong investor protection, and a sound banking sector, all of those things have all helped us achieve such a recognition. Working together, as we do so well in this country, we will remain amongst the best nations in the world in which to do business. The best days lie ahead, and I'm looking forward to our chance to see Canada succeed in the years ahead as well. Thank you very much. A great way to start our uh, our week. Um, the minister has agreed to take some questions. Is there a first question? Yes, right here. Uh, Tony, thanks very much for your uh, review of the current situation. Uh, I don't think there's anyone in the room who's not convinced that we need to tighten our belts. Uh, at the same time, we have a uh, a situation in Canada where we have a, what most medical authorities agree is a, an epidemic of childhood obesity. We still have five million Canadians who smoke, uh, and there are many other health challenges facing us. How do we keep health as a priority at a time when inevitably the focus is on jobs, taxes, and sure. other economic issues? Sure. I, I think that's a very apt point. And, and I, uh, when faced with questions like this, I remind people that we're not going from 280 billion to zero. Uh, and uh, federal government is going to continue to spend money. Uh, we are going to continue to uh, spend in transfers to individuals and to uh, provinces for, uh, in the latter case, for healthcare and education. That those are, have been red circled; they're not part of the review. Government spends around 280 billion dollars a year of taxpayer money. Uh, 200 billion is not part of the review. We've got about 83 billion uh, of government spending that is part of the of the review, and uh, so I make that that point at the outset that we are still going to be in the business of, of doing things that matter to Canadians. I think we must continue to be that way. And as I referenced in my remarks, um, there is, I think, considerable room to transform the way we do business, the way we provide uh, services or work with partners to provide services. So that's part of the review as well, but that doesn't necessarily mean exiting everything. So uh, I guess what I can say generally, because uh, certainly I can't talk specifically at this point, but generally uh, healthcare. Uh, in uh, Health Canada and what it does, and the Public Health Agency of Canada, what it does. Uh, there was, there's still going to be many, many programs, still going to be many, many initiatives, uh, but uh, we are obviously trying to focus things a little bit, and they, both Health Canada and the Public Health Agency will be required to uh, come up with scenarios, which we will then review and uh, make sure that it uh, fits into our goal of focusing in on what's very important to Canadians. So. Uh, I can't answer more specifically than, right, than that right now, Michael, but uh, just remind uh, folks in the room that we're not going from 280 billion down to zero. We're, we're taking between four and eight billion out of that 280 billion and, uh, and uh, realizing the savings that way. That's what it takes to get us to a balanced budget. And so uh, the one thing I'd say parenthetically perhaps uh, in that is that the choices we have to make are obviously better choices than some of our trading partners because their fiscal situation is a lot worse than ours. Uh, UK has a debt to GDP ratio of 75%. Uh, 
the USA is now upwards of around 66 or 75 percent in their debt to GDP ratio. Japan is at 110 percent. We're at 34 percent. And so the choices we have to make, although they're difficult and necessary choices, are on a scale less than some of the difficult choices. UK is looking at, uh, at um, laying off 500,000 civil servants. Those are the layoffs uh, in the UK. Federally, we only have 300,000 civil servants. So, you know, the scale is just going to be a, a lot different uh, in terms of uh, what the kinds of decisions we have to make versus uh, UK, USA, uh, Euro Eurozone, uh, and so forth. Thanks. Next question. Sorry, question over here. Good morning, Tony. Charles Caddo, Frontiers Foundation, Operation Beaver. Tony, you'll probably remember 11 years ago, you made a very important phone call to our office, and you said, Charles, uh, Frontiers and Beaver are doing great stuff. I want to give you some dollars. <laughs> wow. And uh, we'll be forever grateful for that, because in that particular year, we got more support from, from you than we'd ever received from any previous government. And it helped us to continue with our activity of uh, building on and off reserve homes for those most in need, Aboriginal communities. Just recently, we finished a home in, in Lanark for a handicapped father, a native mother, five kids. And uh, we want to keep on doing that. Uh, thanks to Honorable Diane Finley, as you may know, we got a, a strong uh, measure of, of support for Aboriginal skill training combined with our kind of construction, which involves the owners and the whole community, <laughs> ends up, aside from that good news, with a, uh, a measurable saving to the taxpayer. Now, a point that I wanted to make this morning was that we could actually build 200,000 homes in a national housing program with the same amount of money that's planned for the uh, F-35 warplane contract. So is there any way the government could look at that and, and think of, of, uh, of making a, a drastic change? The, the warplane contract will employ Americans building planes in the U.S., whereas our kind of activity will involve and uh, not only involve in construction itself, but involve in marketable skill training for people who need it. And this will be a, a part of a, of a story of enduring good news that will uh, bring dividends for a long, long time in Canada. Sure. No, I, I, I appreciate your comment and, uh, and your perspective. Thank you very much. Uh, let me, since you raised the question of the F-35, uh, let me assure you that uh, uh, a number of those contracts are already uh, being let to Canadian companies in Canada that are going to be part of the F-35 build worldwide uh, so that they get to uh, be part of the global supply chain uh, for not only the Canadian orders but uh, the many thousands of planes that are going to be ordered worldwide by our allies. So for let me give you a concrete example, uh, Pratt & Whitney in Mississauga uh, and uh, at, uh, at Miravel, uh, Bristol Aerospace in Winnipeg, uh, there's a company in Vancouver that's part of, uh, already uh, uh, achieved a contract as well. Uh, those are Canadian jobs, and they're actually CAW jobs, if I might 
be so bold as to as to mention. Uh, and so uh, we are we are taking uh, a very key role in the value added for the F-35. But the the I think the essence of what you're saying is uh, the continued need for transformation uh, in. Uh, uh, in uh, Aboriginal services, uh, which we acknowledge. Uh, and uh, what I've tried to do, because, uh, you know, each government department, these 67 departments and agencies are, uh, you know, on an ongoing basis are, are required and, and, and indeed want to be part of, a, of, an, of an agenda of, of making sure that they achieve their goals or society's goals in a particular area. That, that doesn't stop either. And, and what one of the messages I've tried to deliver to uh, the public service is that, uh, look, uh, I, I want to encourage them to continue to think outside the box, continue to think of new ways to deliver services, be part of a transformation agenda. And some of this could be done within the three-year time frame of the uh, Deficit Reduction Action Plan, or some of it could be longer term. Uh, and uh, as president of the Treasury Board, my, my job doesn't stop with the next budget. Uh, and uh, these are some of the things that I want to pick up on uh, as we move forward, uh, multi-year transformations of how the federal government can deliver better services or partner with other groups like NGOs or private sector, whatever, uh, that can deliver better services to Canadians. So uh, hold that thought, and, and uh, that dialogue is going to continue for sure. Minister, thank you very much. I ask John Cabibianco to express appreciation on behalf of the club. Can I ask one question? Sorry, that's all the time we've got for questions, but thank you very much. Thank you, uh, you thank you, Minister, for taking time out of your busy schedule in order to share with you, with us, your thoughts uh, this morning. Dealing with the global financial situation that has faced us since the summer of 2008 hasn't been easy. We've moved from surplus budgets to stimulus budgets with large deficits. During such a time, we need to be conscious of costs, expenses, and revenues, as well as the need for jobs, especially among our young people. The task ahead of you, Minister, is a daunting one, but a very necessary one as we move forward uh, through this period. We have confidence in you, Minister, knowing that you will reduce the deficit and manage taxpayers' dollars effectively. Good luck, sir, and thank you very much for coming this morning. Thank you. Uh, before we adjourn for breakfast, I would like to uh, list a couple of the upcoming events here at the Canadian Club of Toronto. On the 2nd of November, I'm absolutely delighted to announce that we're going to have our annual Take Your Kids to Lunch event, moderated by Melissa Grello of CP24. And this year's panel will include student finalists from the Ultimate Dream Job Contest. Each finalist will be paired with an expert from their dream job, a principal dancer with the National Ballet of Canada, a well-known Toronto chef, and a Canadian Air Force pilot. But better than that, we're turning the lunch over to the kids who are going to act as hosts, sit at the head table, thank the speaker. In fact, they're even going to in introduce a table of adults that will be sitting in the corner. <laughs> On no November the 16th, we'll be joined by the Mowat Centre Employment Insurance Task Force as they unveil their recommendations for fundamental but realistic and fiscally prudent redesign of that program. November 25th brings Graham, Sp Graham Scott, board chair of the Canadian Health InfoWay, who will outline where Canada is heading in its efforts to modernize the healthcare system throughout the country and the major obstacles that need to be overcome to accomplish this. Uh, to order tickets for these or any of our events, you can 
visit our website, canadianclub.org. I also like to remember, remind everyone the podcast of today's event will be available later this week on iTunes. Simply visit the event listing on our website and click the podcast link. And if you, while you're online, you can check out our, our Twitter feed. We've taken a page from the minister's book. You can follow us at CDNCLUBTO for the latest updates. This concludes our television programming this morning, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We continue to be grateful to both Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian club events. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I invite you to stand as you're able and toast to Canada. To Canada. Please enjoy your breakfast.